Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window Podcast, where we bring you the news before it becomes news as well as insight and analysis into all of the issues that we love about our game. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is Duncan Castles and today we're going to be bringing you lots of market news because yes, despite the fact that transfer window is yet to open. There are lots of things going on behind the scenes while football continues to um, struggle and indeed uh, find ways to return matches for us, even if they are behind closed doors. Duncan has news for us from Manchester City regarding a potential swap deal, one right back for another. Duncan. Yeah, I can update you on where things are with Manchester City and um, the proposal they've put together to swap Jean Cancelo, um, the fullback they signed last summer um, for a, a record fee of 65 million euros with Nelson Semedo at Barcelona. Semedo's a player they've been interested in before this opportunity has presented itself because of what we've talked about the in the podcast on a couple of occasions, which is the, the financial difficulties Barcelona are in and their desire to shift players out um, as part exchange for players incoming. So kind of up, update and change their squad without spending huge amounts of cash on the deals. Um, and the proposal is that they uh, would take Cancelo, um, who City still value at 65 million euros, albeit when they did that deal, Danilo uh, went the other way to Juventus and uh, was valued at 37 million in it, um, and add a little bit of cash with Nelson Semedo, um, giving Manchester City a change in their squad as well. It would mean Cancelo leaving after just one season, um, and I guess that's a, a representation there of, of what Pep Guardiola thinks Cancelo has achieved in uh, that season he's been with at, at the club. The complication for them is that there are a number of other European teams who are interested in taking Semedo. Most prominent of those at present is Inter. Um, and Inter would again involve Semedo in a um, swap plus cash deal. In this case, the, the player they're most likely uh, to move the other way is Lautaro Martinez, player incidentally who um, Manchester City are interested in themselves, who most of the top clubs in Europe have been monitoring because of his um, excellent performances and high scoring at Inter. He has an 111 million euro release clause. He wants to leave this summer, is very much open to leaving this summer. His preference, I'm told, is to go to Spain, um, which means 
Barcelona or Real Madrid. Uh, in this case, the proposal would be Semedo um, plus a figure of perhaps 65 um, to 70 million euros um, is, a, is the kind of number that Inter seem to be ready to accept uh, as an overall deal. Um, it's unclear at this stage is whether Barcelona can afford to put 65 or 70 million euros cash into a deal, even to get Lautaro. Um, and therefore, they're proposing moving not just Semedo, but additional players from their squad that are surplus to requirements to enter. One of the options there would be Arturo Vidal. Um, so you've got <laughs> one of these extremely complicated situations, an expensive transfer made more complex because the clubs involved are struggling with cash uh, and liquidity because of the coronavirus. They don't know when they're going to be playing football again. Both Italy and uh, and Spain are in the process of trying to restart their leagues and, and, and prevent themselves from losing large amounts of broadcast revenue by not completing their seasons, but they don't know if that's going to happen. England, of course, is in a similar situation, but even further back in the process of, uh, of restarting the league. Um, but they are still, they still want to make these changes. They want to refresh their squad. They want to try and improve their squad. And uh, I think we're going to see more of these deals where you get players who have been valued very highly by the clubs, Jean Cancelo, an example here, but I haven't quite bedded in properly. And instead of waiting um, and giving them another season, not knowing when that next season will start, clubs are thinking, okay, we'll, we will cash in. Um, and uh, we, we'll, we'll shift them to clubs who are interested in taking them as they are, and we can get some kind of value, albeit as an exchange uh, deal rather than as a straight cash deal. Given Manchester City's difficulties at right back, Duncan, um, this seems fairly logical in terms of um, Cancelo has, as you said, has not made much of an impression or impact uh, with regards to his playing time or influence in uh, the team. However, Semedo himself has, has not been the greatest at Barcelona either. It seems to me that this is going is a little bit of a risk, a bit of a gamble um, to, to take on this kind of swap deal. Um, especially given the current difficulties, which we all know about being experienced by Kyle Walker, who at one point was obviously the first choice right back at Manchester City. Well, Cancelo came in because Guardiola was unhappy with, with Walker's um, behaviour essentially off the field um, and, and attitude at the training ground. Um, and, and he felt he needed uh, another player an option in that position. Um, Cancelo, Semedo are similar types. They are, they are, their primary skill is as attacking fullbacks. Um, so you can see where the the swap analysis comes in. If you, you you want to change Semedo, who, as you say, has played about half the games for Barcelona, um, and but hasn't established himself as an absolute. Uh, starter in the way that Dani Alves used to be there. But if you want that type of, of player, then you look for someone similar in the market. And it just so happens Cancelo is, it is a similar type of player 
and potentially available because of the situation um, City find themselves in and their um, readiness to to make a change and and these unusual market conditions. Um, Cancelo's played 11 Premier League games this season for City. He's uh, just in 31% of the minutes for them. So, um, you know, less than you would expect for a transfer fee of that amount. Um, they also obviously have a desire to improve at, at right back. And, um, you know, I cannot see that Kyle Walker has strengthened his case with Pep Guardiola, um, with his behaviour um, during the, the lockdown period. Um, so uh, there will be a desire to place pressure on him whenever uh, they're able to, to, to rebuild their squad for the next season, whenever that is going to start. Possibly even more intriguing is the future of Lotaro Martinez, who is seen by many people as the um, successor uh, to Sergio Aguero, um, both um, in club football, wherever he plays, and, and internationally. Uh, if he wants to leave, and he does have, obviously, his choice of clubs available, um, I'm looking at the possibilities. Uh, obviously, Real Madrid have problems in terms of Karim Benzema being in the twilight of his career uh, and possibly leaving in the next window as well. Barcelona, not so much in terms of players coming through who can take over from the likes of Luis Suarez. I think City may still have a chance, even though we just we kind of discount it because of Martinez's wishes to go to Spain. I think the idea of him going to play at Manchester City with the heritage of Aguero there to follow, or the legacy, if you like, that may still be a possibility. Obviously, but if, if the player's preference is to move to Spain and there is a deal on the table, so you, you have a defined price for this player, it's 111 million euros, which Inter feel they, they can achieve. Um, therefore, if, if someone puts the money uh, or an acceptable deal on the table for Inter, as Barcelona are trying to do, um, that puts them way ahead uh, because the players' preferences, and, and this is you know almost universal, players prefer to move to the two biggest clubs in Spain rather than to um, an English club or the, the biggest German club. Um, and remember, you have to add into this, there are question marks over Manchester City. Will, will they be playing European football whenever the next season starts? So uh, they are not as attractive a destination to go to as they have been in in previous years, regardless of that. I think also a factor here, something we mentioned on Friday's podcast, is that because of the tax rules in Italy, which allow clubs to... Um, essentially recruit players from overseas at a lower cost than whether they were to recruit someone who's already present in Serie A or, a, or a, an Italian player because those foreign um, new employees benefit from lower tax rates. Someone like Lautaro can be moved out and his salary reallocated at lower cost uh, to enter so they can bring their wage bill, their net wage bill, down um, by operating deals like this. And, and there is a pressure, as 
um, Aurelio Capaldi explained to us on Friday, there's a pressure across Serie A um, to reduce costs because of the uncertainty that, that's caused by, by the coronavirus pandemic. So there's an incentive for them to do a deal for a player like Lautaro, uh, who's not on the reduced tax rate because he joined uh, the club in 2018, uh, and to bring someone like Sumedo in from Spain, who they would be able to pay uh, the same salary as he is earning at Barcelona, or a better salary, but at a lower um, cost to themselves because of the the tax benefits that uh, that the Italian state offers to them when hiring from abroad. This is certainly becoming part of a bigger picture, Duncan, regarding how um, we understand the market will uh, transpire once it opens, obviously with more loan deals, uh, uh, more uh, swap deals, uh, clubs trying to uh, balance their books by inflating the cost of a swap for a player, uh, which would be more or it would be less realistic if it was a simple cash deal. With Martinez at 111 million euros uh, in terms of a rescission clause, that would be by far City's record of transfer as well, should they go from on a cash-only basis, which, let's face it, given Inter's incredible um, transfer spend last summer, they may prefer a cash deal as opposed to a swap deal with Barcelona um, for Semedo? Of course, um, a cash deal would be pre preferable to, um, to enter, but you have to be able to achieve that cash deal and can Manchester City, uh, are they in a position to break their transfer record in that fashion when uh, revenues are down in the way they're, they're going to be down and when the spotlight is on them over their um, extensive breaches of, of financial fair play regulations. Um, yeah, you're right um, that from a bookkeeping point of view, moving Cancelo to, uh, to Barcelona in a swap deal in which he is valued at 65 million euros looks better on the books than selling him um, at a, uh, for example, for 50 million to um, to Inter, where, where Inter to be interested or um, another club. Um, there, there will, one of the reasons why Barcelona are trying to do these swap deals is it, it makes the uh, accounts look artificially better because you can value a player in a swap deal at more than his real cash value is. So if you can get uh, Semedo as a 45 million part of a swap deal, when actually if you sold him on the open market, he was 35 or, or um, 30 million euros, then that looks better on the accounts. And, and, and this is something clubs have to be conscious of at the moment because for a long time, the inflating transfer market has made football clubs' accounts look better than they actually are. As long as everyone is paying more per year for uh, transfers, you can declare each individual year or almost each individual year that you've made a profit on player trading because of the way in which um, uh, purchases are booked over a five-year period over the length of the contract, but sales are credited 
um, to the club in full immediately. So if you look at most of the Premier League clubs, they actually declare a profit on, on player trading. When if you look at the, the gross spend, obviously we know that the Premier League is um, putting out more cash on transfers, far, far more cash on transfers than it gets in year after year. Yet from an accountancy point of view, it looks like they're, they're able to declare profits. Now, that's fine as long as the market continues to inflate, as it has done. But now we hit, hit the, the, the bumpers of coronavirus, the market is going to deflate, and suddenly your books can look very nasty very quickly um, just by trading at market values. Certainly a harsh reality that a lot of Premier League clubs are facing right now. Um, one club who has... Uh, I think we agree, spent very wisely, or I should say invested very wisely in the last three to five years as Liverpool. Um, we don't expect them to be doing a lot in the market in the coming window outside of potentially the recruitment, which we've explained uh, over the last 12 months of Timo Werner from RB Leipzig, which is still very much on the cards. But Duncan, you've got news of a player who is probably going to be leaving Anfield um, after some years, but not actually making much of an impression. Yes, the midfielder, um, Pedro Chirivea, um, who will turn 23 this month. He's played 10 games for Liverpool in, in total, just one in the Premier League. Um, I think he's he's almost more famous for being played illegally by Jurgen Klopp when not properly registered uh, in a in a cup competition for Liverpool when uh, Liverpool were spared um, being uh, thrown out of the competition as, as as has happened to other clubs who've who've uh, used um, players who aren't properly uh, registered in the past uh, than he is for. Um, his performances on the field. That being said, he has been um, impressive in, in some of the cup games he's played for Liverpool this season, and he's he created a quite significant market for himself um, across Europe. So I'm told there, there are several championship clubs um, interested in signing him. Um, he has a strong offer uh, from Nantes in France and a strong offer from his home country um, in Granada in uh, La Liga. Um, also in Scotland, there's a very significant interest in him, particularly at Rangers, um, who of course are managed by Steven Gerrard, who knows Chiravea from uh, his time uh, coaching uh, the younger players at the club. They would like to sign him, I'm told, um, but I think I think this is a mark of where Rangers are at the moment. Even though this would be uh, a free transfer um, because he would be moving across national borders, if he moved to another English club, there would be a, a payment involved. But even though it would be a free transfer, even though the wages I think are are, are going to be a maximum of fifteen thousand pounds per week, probably less, Rangers haven't been able to. Uh, complete that deal uh, and uh, and that I'm told regardless of the fact that Gerard is pushing very heavily to sign the player uh, and install him in, in Rangers midfield for next season but um, I, I think those who follow Scottish football will be hearing about the financial difficulties Rangers have had for a long time and those have been exacerbated 
uh, greatly exacerbated by coronavirus and they've had to um, aggressively uh, rethink their transfer po policy for the coming season, I'm, I'm told, and can't do deals uh, of any um, great financial significance. I'm going to be scratching around trying to make some changes uh, for Gerard for the for the next Scottish season. Well, they certainly haven't been skimping on their QC bills, Duncan. That's for sure. <laughs> over over recent days and weeks, uh, and of course, as of today, when we speak, the uh, resolution that they tried to have passed over the SPFL has failed uh, to get their desired conclusion which means Scottish football remains in chaos, uh, much as our contributor Roger Mitchell um, predicted two weeks ago when he came on the podcast. So we shall continue to monitor that as well. Um, we have also news uh, which concerns the other half of the old firm, and that's the France striker Odson Edouard, who has been attracting interest from a lot of clubs uh, mainly in the Premier League, but also in Europe as well. Um, a player who has been instrumental uh, this season in Celtic's rise to be 13 points ahead of Rangers. As things stand with the SPFL obviously suspended uh, like everywhere else is, uh, and that is interest from Newcastle United, who, um, as you will know, we have reported in the podcast in the last six weeks um, are determined to make sensible investments regarding player recruitment rather than uh, using the scattergun approach uh, which other Premier League clubs who have been taken over and invested in by uh, nation states or indeed wealthy individuals. Edouard is valued at £40 million by Celtic but of course in this current market uh, is they are unlikely to achieve that kind of figure for the player um, Newcastle uh, still waiting for the takeover to be confirmed by the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, but are very keen to take Edward, partly on the basis that uh, he is someone who wants to play football every week. Uh, he is, and his representatives have stated to interested parties that um, he doesn't want to go to a club where he'll be second or third choice. He wants to develop his career uh, in a very constructive and progressive way. Um, money is not to be on end all at this stage in his career. Um, and also, obviously, a move from Glasgow to Newcastle for the France striker would not be as much of a shock, I suspect, uh, having been many times in both cities. Um, Duncan, do you see this as, a, as a, an almost um, decent fit for Edouard, uh, given his desire to play first-team football, as well as Newcastle's ambition to construct a team around players who are ambitious, hungry, young, etc.? It certainly fits the, the strategic aims that uh, the group buying Newcastle United are. Are, have been stating that they want to um, remain within financial fair play. They want to recruit intelligently. Um, you're buying a young striker whose career uh, is very much in the up, who's scored heavily in Scottish football, who's um, been exposed to uh, the pressure of playing 
um, European football and, and and winning titles in Scotland. And that, you know, this, I think there still remains a, a degree of cynicism about that in the football watching public. But when you have now the examples of Virgil Van Dijk, um, and Moussa Dembele um, starting at Celtic and pushing themselves forward at that club. Um, and then being bought for high, you know, high transfer fees for the Scottish level, but not particularly high transfer fees um, in a, this, the Premier League scale, uh, and becoming you know, elite performers. I think it's fair to say, and um, in Van Dijk's case, uh, recognised by many as being the best performing centre back in in Europe, and um, and uh, Dembele establishing himself as Leon's. Uh, lead striker and and attracting a lot of attention um, from uh, even more wealthy clubs, then it, it's obviously a, a recruitment path that has worked and, and the kind of thing that you'd expect them to be following. And when I talk to the people there, they, they insist that any work being done is uh, by them is very much basic groundwork. Um, told you they're looking uh, for a sports director. Uh, understanding is when the in those conversations about sports director, the the, the presentation is uh, tell us um, how you would work on this project. What kind of players would you you want to bring? How would you um, reorganise the club so that they're at a very the, what I'm being told is that at a very early stage in terms of recruitment and um, things such as uh, the decision to retain Steve Bruce until at least until the end of the Premier League season are indicative of that. I think also all of this is predicated on them getting approval to buy the club. Um, the expectation from uh, someone in the group I spoke to last week was that they would hear a decision from the Premier League this week. I was hearing that there is a degree of nervousness um, amongst the investors that uh, that approval will be granted. We have seen, I think it's fair to say, a concerted attempt to stop the Premier League from granting approval for the takeover on multiple grounds, uh, on human rights grounds, on um, the grounds that, uh, that Saudi Arabia has been involved in the theft of Premier League intellectual property. Um, we have one of the main broadcasting partners of the Premier League being who have the rights for the Middle East and, and North Africa explicitly writing to the clubs and saying, um, do not allow this country to buy into your league. Um, we even have Javier Tebas, the, the Liga president, also um, saying that uh, the Premier League should not allow Newcastle and, uh, to be purchased by Saudi Arabia because of the BLQ uh, scandal. Um, and, it, and it's something the Premier League's been intimately involved in. So they've pushed heavily from a legal perspective as a company to have that uh, uh, theft of their rights stopped and and to allow BN to, um, to broadcast across uh the Middle East without having a competitor who um, who's paid nothing for the television rights which which being have paid so heavily for. So I think this all of this is that they're, they're serious concerns and they're it's a more aggressive attempt to prevent a takeover than 
than I've ever seen before in the Premier League and, and a much bigger headache, I think, for the Premier League than, than, than they faced with ownership before. So I think this is definitely open to question and until they get the green light uh, from the Premier League to complete the takeover, which is agreed, the deposit has been paid, uh, Mike Ashley cannot back out of it, is what, what I'm told, um, none of these deals can happen. It's as simple as that. And our information on the latest developments regarding the Newcastle United takeover is that it was discussed under any other business at the Premier League's meeting yesterday, which was, of course, the majority of which was spent discussing project restart, etc., um, and that a new legal challenge to the be out queue. Um, alleged piracy of rights was brought up uh, and the case of how could the Premier League endorse a owner in the Premier League if indeed they were directly linked uh, and it, it was proven that they were directly linked to a um, unauthorised and illegal piracy operation and therefore the Premier League clubs uh, decides to defer a decision on the takeover bid yet again, and it's unlikely um, from our information that a decision will be made in the next seven days, despite the fact that the um, proposed uh, parties involved in the takeover were hoping to be able to announce officially that they'd own Newcastle United in this coming week. Duncan, going on to that particular meeting yesterday between the 20 stakeholders in the Premier League, um, clearly uh, government guidance was given that sport could resume behind closed doors under certain conditions uh, post June the 1st. However, um, having taken um, information and advice from certain clubs, uh, I was informed today that 13 clubs have expressed their feeling that perhaps the time has come to draw a line on this particular campaign. Not that they've agreed how to do that, whether it's points per game or anything else. Just that the indecision is becoming more divisive and damaging than trying to pursue a means of seeing the season out and therefore focusing on a resumption of football for next season would both be financially and uh, socially stroke morally a better way of taking everything forward. Do you think that clubs will go for that cessation of the league um, or do you think this is we're still looking at a situation where it'll be, you know, right until the the last day that's possible before the league restarts. I think what you can see in the Premier League is what we've been reporting on this podcast for months now. There is no um, coherent voice. There is no agreement. Uh, there are clubs who do not want to restart the season. Um, Notably, of course, the clubs at, at the bottom end of the table who uh, are, are threatened by relegation and their calculation is that it would cost them more to be relegated to the championship than it would um, to lose 
tens of millions of pounds of broadcasting revenue. And I think we even have some of the chief executives or significant figures in those clubs talking um, on record about that now, saying that they have to act in the self-interest of their clubs. Uh, their job, their executive duty as chief executives is to represent their club's own interests first. And, um, and the, they, they do not want to agree to any circumstance in which it's more likely that they be relegated because the, uh, the, the setup of the league has been changed. And uh, one of those conditions is playing at neutral grounds. Another of the conditions is playing behind closed doors, ghost games. And I don't think you can argue that, um, that the basic point that, that you are ch fundamentally changing the makeup of the Premier League and you're completing the season in a, a fundamentally different fashion to the way it was started and to the way it was supposed to be completed. I think they're right about that. You can argue um, whether it, the best thing for the Premier League is uh, not to finish or not, but they, they have justifiable complaints that the, the, what has been presented for Project Restart from a sporting perspective, from a sporting integrity perspective, is uh, is unacceptable. Um, obviously, you have people at the other end trying to argue opposite case. You have uh, a column from Jamie Carragher. Um, uh, I wonder what his uh, interest in, in this fight is. Um, arguing no idea. That, that, uh, that the, essentially, that the Premier League is always unfair because some clubs have more money than others and some have bigger supporters than others. Therefore, it's fine to make it more unfair by um, whatever solution the Premier League clubs can come can bring together to get the, the, the season ended. And also the other strand to the argument was um, the Carlos Tevez, Javier Mascarano season in which West Ham played those two Argentine players um, illegally um, because of their their purchase um, via MSI and Kia Jirabshin story that's been detailed and uh, very well at the time, uh, and, uh, and and turned into a big uh, legal challenge, and uh, with compensation payments made by West Ham United to Sheffield United, who were relegated, was the the biggest um, example of unfairness and lack of sporting integrity in the Premier League. Um, so, uh, and a, and a, a greater case than than uh, playing a neutral ground. So basically, Carragher's argument was uh, the Premier League got it wrong. Um, several years ago, therefore, it's okay for them to get it wrong again here, as long as they don't get it wrong by just as uh, as much an amount as they did over Tevez and Mascarano. It's not really much of an argument, is it? But almost, you're almost as curious, Duncan, though, because we we spoke a lot about this in previous podcasts, was the argument about the um, sporting integrity being compromised. Now it's gone under the radar, I think, a little bit, but IFAB approved five substitutions and the potential non-use of VAR for the for the remainder of the season. Now, that those are two massive changes, considering especially the VAR one, where we've been before in this season. Yeah, and they also um, introduced the, the uh, ridiculous uh, T-shirt handball variation rule um, for the remainder of the season. But it has to be said that these are all voluntary, so the Premier League would have to decide whether they want to bring in 
any of those changes. They can leave things exactly as they were, or they can introduce the changes. And, and you know, it, it, I don't think it will look good for the Premier League to be seen to be changing the rules and the setup of the competition uh, on top of all the other changes that will be required to complete the season. I think what's telling from yesterday is you have um, Richard Masters coming out after the the meeting and saying neutral grounds uh is off the table we 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 don't want to the clubs don't want to do that anymore even though the premier league had been briefing for quite a while that that was the way they wanted to go it seems very significantly in that meeting that the, the the will of the clubs was this this isn't the right approach to take so that has gone off the table um and he's also although he he said um, that there is a really strong collective will to complete the season, um, that that collective will remains. One, I don't think that's right because it is not universal to complete the season. Um, but he also said it, it's the first time we've discussed cur curtailment. So putting on the record that um, not completing the season is an option for the Premier League. That's the first time that they publicly stated that. But it's been heading in that direction for some time now. Um, because clubs don't want to play, as we've told you, there are a number, a significant number of players who don't want to play. We've seen Danny Rose um, in the last 24 hours talking out about how ridiculous he feels the the proposals are we've seen former premier league players talking about how ridiculous it is that that under um the proposed lockdown relaxation uh you won't be able to get a haircut but premier league footballers will be able to um kick lumps off each other on a pitch um <laughs> it, it is you can understand why a significant number of players don't want to get involved in this for, for health reasons. And um, you know, as we've said all along in, on the podcast, there are two big blocks. The government, um, if the government says no, then the league's done. And that's what's happened in the Netherlands and what's happened in France. And interestingly, the health minister in the Netherlands uh, spoke recently and said, there will be no football um, again in stadia with with spectators in stadia until there is a vaccine for coronavirus so having said no football to be played until first september at the earliest he's now saying no football with fans until we have a vaccine um so the government can block that's not happening in the uk and players can block as it as happened in italy to stop the leagues uh, and i think that I, I think that remains the biggest hurdle for the premier league is even if you manage to get a consensus within uh, the Premier League clubs uh, on some kind of restart and completion of the season, how many players are going to say, sorry, I'm not doing that. You, I'm not risking my health um, when you cannot convince me that it's safe to play football again. As ever, Mr. Castles has given me a fantastic segue into our heroes and villains um, because... My hero for this week is the great Broadway Danny Rose um, for calling it UK government on their stance on coronavirus, claiming that uh, football returning would be a case of lifting the spirits of a nation. I think it was the health secretary, Matt Hancock, or may have been Dominic Raab, who said those particular words. And Danny Rose was very colourful indeed in his language, which won't be repeated in saying morale 
<laughs> we're talking about people's lives here. So uh, I think my hero of the last few days in football is Broadway Danny Rose for that reason. Duncan, who would be your villain? Uh, villains of the week would be Abu Dhabi, um, who have now taken control over a ninth um, football club globally by adding the, the Belgian second-tier site Lommel SK to the City Football Group. Um, alongside properties they own in, in Australia, uh, South America, Spain, um, Asia. I think they also have a club in India. So all of these, all these uh, countries can now uh, enjoy the delights of being owned by a nation state and uh, and run in the interests of that nation state. Although um, Ferran Soriano um, gave a, a statement about how it was all about playing beautiful football and entertaining uh, the populace. That was the only uh, reason that um, Abu Dhabi were buying all these football clubs, as has, of course, been demonstrated by their adherence to regulations, um, uh, which are designed to uh, to provide competitive balance, but um, don't seem to, to matter to this uh, Abu Dhabi pursuit of beautiful football around the globe. Well, it reminds me of a good friend of mine. Now, we go once a year to glorious Goodwood uh, for Dare at the Races, and he bets every horse. That way, knowing he will at least be a winner. <laughs> <laughs> so it's perhaps CFG are doing exactly the same. Um, and I'll make sure that person is not named... Not in this podcast anyway. This has been, of course, your Transfer Window podcast, first of the week. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. Please, please uh, continue the debate with us um, on anything you've heard or anything you want to engage in. Our social media channels are there for your disposal. And, of course, they are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. And uh, if, and we know thousands of you do, enjoy the podcast, please log on to iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Uh, that gets us out to more people and, of course, increases our community, increases our debate, and, of course, makes everything more enjoyable for everyone. And speaking of everyone, I've been checking our uh, Twitter feed as we've been recording. Thanks to Roman and Peter M. Smith, who have said to us, where are you, lads? You're late. Get the podcast out. Uh, I'm glad to say, Roman and Peter, it's coming your way now. Uh, and that's your shout-out for, uh, for making that uh, obvious to everyone else as well. Um, we will be back with you later in the week. Until then, uh, from us, stay safe, be well. We will see you through the transfer window and thanks for listening. Hey.